Progressive presents Forest Metaphors about bundling your home and auto. In sports, three goals is a hat trick. And when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, you get a hat trick of great savings and round-the-clock protection. So you might be thinking, wait, that's two things. A hat trick is three. But in this metaphor, great savings counts as two goals and so does round-the-clock protection. So it's like four goals and that's more than three. It's basic math. Forest Metaphors, presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations. Drive less, save more. Ride Coda with the Transit app. Download today for a 450 credit. There's a new way to pay at Coda. I'm going to have you take your Bible, please. Turn to Matthew 28. And we're going to look at three verses just a little bit later on. Matthew 28. We're going to be talking about making disciples today. In this sermon series called Dare to Be a Disciple, we looked at a couple of weeks ago, John chapter 8, where Jesus spoke to those who believed in him, and he said that they are to continue in his word in order to become fully devoted disciples of Christ. John 8, 31 and 32, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will, what? Set you free or make you free. So clearly, think about this. Jesus is preaching to a a crowd of people, and they've responded. They believed in him, and he challenges them, and he basically says, it's not enough just to put up your hand. You need to continue. You need to become a disciple, a follower of me. So He wasn't looking to build a fan club. He was looking to have followers. He wanted uh, radical discipleship, not just religious devotion from his people. So Jesus was clear there's a big difference between being a believer and being a disciple, isn't there? So the Great Commission, we talk about the Great Commission, and it's a co-mission. What does that mean? Commission means very simply this, two people or two parties that collaborate or cooperate to fulfill a mission. So in the Great Commission, it's clearly God and us, the people of God, the disciples of Christ. Each one of us is called to engage in this commission. So Jesus came to the earth. He didn't just come to go to the cross and die and be raised back to life again because ultimately that's the ultimate purpose. But we understand that he came and he spent three years with his disciples and he called men. There were women as well. And he said, I want you to follow me. I want to pour into you. I want to change you. I want you to become my disciples. I want to teach you how to fish for souls. I want to teach you how to heal the sick, how to live in holiness, how to walk in power. I want you to know my father just as I know my father. And so for the next three years, come and follow me. I'm going to train you. I'm going to equip you. I'm going to personally mentor you. And then he spoke to them later on about how he would leave and he would go to his father and how they would continue and perpetuate the ministry that he himself had started. So Jesus spends three plus years with these apostles and he prepares them for their new assignment. So he's about to return to his father, but they're going to continue his ministry. But what was it he specifically charged them to do? 
was it to preach uh, to the nations, to evangelize the nations, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to plant churches, to prophesy, to teach, uh, you know, the, the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ? What about alleviating the needs of the poor? All of these things Jesus certainly modeled. He did it, and he told us that we are to do likewise. But when you look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, what we commonly refer to as the Great Commission, we see that Jesus was very specific regarding what he was commanding his disciples to do. I'm going to read starting here at verse 18. Jesus says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, Christianity, in a sense, is simplistic, but it's not simple. And what I mean by that is this. What Jesus has called us to do can be encapsulated in what we call the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. The Great Commandment is this. You're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you're to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he qualified that when someone said, who is my neighbor? And he told the story about the Good Samaritan. And then Jesus said, so that's what I want you to do. Now, that's it, all right? Okay, so what do I do? I love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and I love people as myself. Simplistic, but not simple, right? Not easy to do that. Because why? Because we have our own plans, our own objectives, our own desires in life. We can be selfish, can't we? And as a result, we find it hard to always put others before us. There are days when we don't necessarily honor God. We don't always love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we don't always love our neighbor as ourselves. But that's what God's called us to do. And then secondly, what did he say? He said, make disciples of the nations. The Great Commission is about making disciples. How do I know this? How, how come it's not about baptizing or it's not about, about teaching or, or going? Because very simply stated... I want to just put this up on the screen. You'll see that there are four action words, four verbs in English in these two verses in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. He said go. Go is an action word. Baptize, right? Absolutely. Make disciples. Teaching them. Now, in the Greek language, it's not that simple. In the Greek language, there are actually three participles and one imperative command. And the imperative command is the action word. It's telling us what we're supposed to do. Like in English, it would be go, run, eat. No, don't eat now. You can wait till after the service. But, and, and then the participle is, is more like a word that ends with ing, ing, right? Like running, swimming, and so on. But in, in this particular passage, there are three participles that tell us how we are to do what we're supposed to do. But there's only one verb, one imperative verb. And what is the verb? The verb is disciple. Go, 
baptize and teach are participles. So the thing that Jesus is saying is, I want you to disciple. I want you to make disciples. And here's how you make disciples. You go. You baptize. And you teach. Now, it's not that complicated, is it? It's not that difficult. What is it we're called to do? Some people are saying as a Christian, I have no idea what's God's purpose, what's his plan for my life. There it is right there, guys. That's his plan and his purpose for your life right there. Every single one of us qualifies for this and is commanded to do this. We are to disciple people. We're to make disciples. What did Jesus do? Did he just heal the sick? Did he just preach the gospel? No, no, he made disciples, didn't he? And he taught them to do what he was doing. And he said, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to follow me. You've got to do what I've been doing. And this is a commandment for every Christian. The reason why some people, they come to Christ, they get saved, they get born again, and then they struggle is because they haven't moved beyond the stage of infancy. They haven't learned to grow up in Christ, and they haven't learned how to move to a place of following and being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you that believing is the beginning. It's the entranceway into the kingdom. But there's a place where God calls us to grow up and to go further in our walk with him and become more and more like Jesus Christ himself. So make disciples. We're all called to make disciples. Think about that. But the Bible says we can only reproduce after our own kind. So if we ain't a disciple, there's a good chance we're not going to be able to make a disciple. Does that sound fair? Is that reasonable? So what do we need? You can't give what you don't have. Right? Remember? Jesus uh, had, had told the disciples, hey, what I'm doing, I'm healing the sick. I'm cleansing the lepers. I'm raising the dead. I'm casting out demons. You guys do this as well, Matthew 10, 7 and 8. And then this is what he said. There's a day that comes. He said, when I'm going to my father, he said, I won't be with you. But you'll be able to do these things because the Holy Spirit, whom I'm sending, will abide with you forever. The Holy Spirit will give you the power. He will be another comforter, and he will enable you to be able to live the way I've lived on the earth. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to be perfect. I'm not saying that we'll be sinless like Jesus was sinless. Obviously, that's not happening. But what I am saying is we need to shoot for the target. Because if we have a standard, there is a high cost to having low expectations. There is a high cost to having low standards. Because if you shoot at something low, the chances you're not going to hit it, you're going to go lower. So the higher you set your sights, the better the chances are that you're going to hit your target. And when we look at what the Bible states, we see that Jesus raised the bar. He called each and every one of us to be disciples. Not just religious devotees. Not just people who come to church every so often. But people who know God, people that have a relationship with him and live our lives in the power of the Holy Spirit like Jesus did. And we go around manifesting his love, manifesting his goodness, revealing his father, releasing his power and his kingdom. That's what we've been called to do. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. 
No. Going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. You can go to church, may I just say it, and stand before God one day and he said, depart from me, I never knew you. You worker of iniquity. Jesus says that. What a terrible thing. That's the words of Jesus Christ. I honestly believe if Jesus was on the earth today, that a lot of churches would not welcome him. They'd have a hard time with what he preached and taught. And the truth is, that's happening today. It's happening here. It's in Texas. It's everywhere. Do we honestly value what Jesus taught us? Do we value it enough that we'll take up our cross and follow him? Or do we just want to be successful? Do we just want to be blessed? What do we want to be? Do we want to know the power of the resurrection? Before we can know the power of the resurrection, there has to be death. Death to self. Death to our desires. Death to our sinful ways. And there has to be a stepping into the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when the world sees a people that walk in that type of power and authenticity and love, it will bring change and transformations. And many of them will come to Jesus. They've seen churchianity and, and Christendom and religiosity in many places, but very, very few have seen Christ in us, the hope of glory. And he's the one that we're supposed to reveal. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German theologian who was actually arrested by the Nazis uh, during World War II. For he was obviously opposed Adolf Hitler. And he once said this, it's only because he became like us that we can become like him. It's only because he, Jesus, became like us that we can become like him. You see, a fully devoted disciple will manifest the nature and character of Christ on the earth. So the Great Commission is about discipling others. So we need to understand what is a disciple. So starting with the end in view, this enables us to backwards engineer the process. What is the end in view? Luke 640 is very clear. The goal, the outcome of effective discipleship in the words of Jesus himself. We've already touched on this, but I want you to hear it again. A disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone who's perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Jesus is our teacher. He's our master. He's the one we are to emulate. He's the one that we are to be like. And I, I, want, to, I want to demonstrate and manifest him. I want people to be able to say, when they look at me, I can, there's something different about him. There's something you know, it's not just him. There's something divine. There's something, there's something special. There's something that is unearthly. There's something that is extraordinary about him. And I, can, and I can clearly attest to it's Christ in me. Christ in me. 
The reason why I can love my enemies. The reason why I can overcome the powers of darkness. The reason why I can declare and decree a thing and it comes to pass. The reason why I'm able to stand in that place and see breakthrough happen and doors open and experience the open heaven that God has promised us is because I stand in a place of righteousness in Christ Jesus. (laughs) And the enemy hates that. He hates that. He's quite happy for you and me just to go to church every week, dress up a little bit, whatever. He's quite happy. It doesn't bother him one bit. But when we begin to step into our identity, when we begin to realize who we are, that we are the the sons and the daughters of the Most High God, that we are literally, as it says in Romans 8, 29, those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to his likeness, that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers, many sisters. He's not ashamed to call us his brother, his sister, is what it says in the book of Psalms. He's not ashamed that we are, he was the firstborn, and we are called to be just like him we're to live like him we're to act like him we're to talk like him we're to love like him we're to do those things that jesus did most churches today are not focused on making disciples you know there are so many things that vie for our attention but the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing and we have to recognize that the main thing is discipleship The mission of the church is be a disciple who makes disciples. It's very clearly, it's very clear. One writer said this, attendance, busyness, construction, finances, and programs are not real indications of the success of a church. The core question of effectiveness, the question that ultimately matters is whether the people who are getting saved are being conformed to the likeness of Christ. Are we making mature disciples of Jesus who are not only able to withstand the culture, but are also making disciples of Jesus themselves? Isn't it interesting that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it? Jesus said, he who will build the church? He will build his church. Now, I'm not saying we don't have a role. I'm not saying. But ultimately, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. So it's not by might. It's not by human ability. It's not by our efforts. It's not by our church growth programs. It's not by our strategies or our marketing campaigns or any of these things that we do, but it's by the fresh wind of the Holy Spirit that blows on the dry bones, as Lynn was mentioning, that brings life, and so that people say there is bread in that house. I can get food in that house. People are being healed in that house. There is a people there that are literally the habitation of the living God. They carry his presence and his anointing, and because of what is happening in that place, I want to go there too. I want to see it. I want to experience it. I know I can go there and get a breakthrough in my life. I am definitely preaching better than your amen in me. (laughs) 
Now, the first few weeks, I was just warming up with you guys, okay? I'm still warming up. We're not, we're not quite there yet. All right. Mike Breen wrote a book called Building a Discipleship Culture. In it, he made this brilliant statement. If you make disciples, you will always get the church. But if you make a church, you rarely get disciples. Jesus said, I will build my church. What did he say to us? Go make disciples. Go make disciples. Make disciples of the nations. Ta ethni, which means in Greek, of the ethnic groups, of the ethnic peoples. It's not just people from one country, another country, but it's the tribes, it's the ethnic groups, it's all the different languages as well. Make disciples. See, the early church recognized this. And the early church, do you know that they grew from 120 people to 20 million people in 200 years? 120 people in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. 200 years later, 20 million people. Statistics say the population of the world at that time was anywhere from 145 million people to closer to just over 200 million people. So that's at least 10% of the people in 200 years of the population of the earth clearly became Christian. It's amazing. Today we have over 2 billion people who profess to be Christians in the world. Over 2 billion. It's more than Muslims. But not everyone knows Jesus because some people are, are religious. They're adherents. They don't have a personal relationship with him, in other words. But there is such a move of God that is happening, particularly in the southern hemisphere of the world. It used to be that the northern hemisphere, particularly North America and Europe, Western Europe, was responsible for the propagation and dissemination of the gospel to the nations of the world. Now the exact opposite is happening. There are more Christians in China than there are in America. There are more Christians in Africa, in Asia. There are so many people that are coming to Christ in South America. You know, they're the fastest growing place in the world right now for Christianity, believe it or not, is Iran. More people are coming to Jesus in Iran per capita than anywhere else. And they can't stop what's going on. It's amazing. And here we are, our Western nations in North America, every church in, in denomination in America is in decline. There's only two or three that are not in decline, and they're basically plateaued. And the only reason why, and they are the Pentecostal denominations, including the Assemblies of God, of which we are affiliated with, but the truth is the only reason why they're growing is because of immigrants. Because of immigrants, particularly the Latino population. That's the reason why they're still growing. There's not a single county in the United States that has a net increase in church growth since 1963. Not one. We're losing more people than people we're gaining. People, church attendance has gone down. Used to be 40% of people would come to church 
four times a month. This is 10 years ago. Today, 40% of people come to church once a month. In 10 years. We need revival. We need a move of God's spirit. It's not going to just be enough by us just having a nice, cozy culture and, you know, in our religious services, as good as they may be, even we got to go. We have to go. We have to reach people. We have to share the gospel with people that don't know Jesus Christ. And somebody say, well, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know. I'm ashamed or I'm, I'm scared or I'm intimidated or maybe I'm not qualified. Maybe I'm disqualified because of the way that I've been living. I've, I've got a life of duplicity and hypocrisy. There's things that I'm doing in my life that I know I shouldn't be doing. And, and it disqualifies me and makes me feel like I'm a hypocrite to share my faith with someone else. Well, I have a very simple answer to that question. Get on your knees and cry out to God and repent of your sins and call on the name of Jesus and begin to pray and seek Him until you get the breakthrough in your life. Because He's not willing that we just stay the way we are. He loves us the way we are, but He loves us so much He's not going to leave us the way we are. He wants us to grow. He wants us to become like his son. He wants me to be, us to become his body on the earth, his mouth, his hands, his feet. He wants us to be able to share the gospel with those that so desperately need to hear who he is. And the early church understood this. And they engaged in the empowerment and the equipping of the entire body of Christ. Not just the professional clergy, so to speak. Not just the pastors or the apostles or the prophets or the evangelists, teachers. But every person was equipped. And every person understood in the responsibility of sharing their faith. I mentioned this. I'll go through it very quickly. In the book of Acts, we see, ex we see amazing growth happen. On the day of Pentecost, there were 3,000 people added to the church as Peter preached. It says in Acts 2, 41 and 47 that there were even people added daily to the church. And then in Acts 5, 14, it says that God, their multitudes were increasingly added, great multitudes. Acts 11, 24, many were added to the church. But then when we get to the sixth chapter of the book of Acts, two verses, verse 1 and 7, the language changes. No longer are we told that believers are being added to the church. Now, he says, disciples are being multiplied. Notice the change. It's not just believers being added, but now disciples are being multiplied. Why is this? Because in the church of Jerusalem, there had been a span, a gap, and time now for those who had believed were now to become disciples and to grow. And what was the natural result of those new believers becoming disciples? That they began to multiply, that they began to reproduce and share their faith with other people. They began to bring other, other people to their gatherings. They began to teach and disciple and were active in sharing their faith. It's the natural thing. Healthy bodies reproduce, right? If we think, if there's something wrong and we're not able to have children what do we do do we look at that as if that's something that's okay many people 
they do whatever they can to try to reverse that. They get medical treatments. They, you know, they, they do things. They spend money. I remember one of my friends from Nigeria, Africa. He's a pastor in Chicago now. And he came to a church where we were preaching one day. And I had no idea what was going on. But as he and his wife walked in, I saw them. And the Lord spoke to me and said, tell them they're going to have a child. And I spoke to them and I said privately later on, you're going to have a child. God is going to bless you with the child. And they began to weep and they began to cry because they had been trying for over 10 years to have children. And the doctor said that it's impossible. They'd gone to the best of the best medical experts. Nothing happened. They weren't able to have any children. And about nine months and a few days after I spoke that word over them, she gave birth to a daughter. It was just a word that was spoken and released. And what I'm saying is the point is that because of their barrenness, because they were incapable of having children, they were doing things in the natural to try to change that. And the point is in the spirit realm, what do we do when we look at ourselves as a church, as disciples? Are we having spiritual children? Are we reproducing? Are we reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? If not, our spiritual womb is closed and we need God to open it. And we need to begin to birth those things that he has said are his purpose for his kingdom. God, heal us of our infertility. God, heal us of our spiritual barrenness. God, cause us to have children, sons and daughters who desperately need to know this gospel that are so messed up, that are so broken, that desperately need to know who you are. Lord, help us to see them begotten into the kingdom by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Multiplication. Of disciples. Not just the pastor preaching and giving an altar call. And occasionally someone responds and believes the gospel. But we are active reaching people. Sharing our faith. We're praying. We're praying for the lost. We're praying for our sons, our daughters, our brothers, our sisters, our parents. Whomever it might be that don't know Jesus. That they would be saved. We're praying for our colleagues. We're praying for our schoolmates. Whatever it may be, we are being intentional in praying for their heart to be open to the gospel. And then we speak that word in season. We speak that word. And as we do, God causes us to experience a harvest. I know some people will mock. I get some people blaspheme. We lived in Australia. It was one of the most atheistic countries in the world. People, when you talk to them about Jesus, they give you that middle finger salute. You know what I'm talking about. They get angry. They swear at you when you try to talk about Jesus. They cuss you out. Many people. They're not like, hey, man, I'm good. Leave me alone. They are vehemently venomous and hateful toward the gospel, many people there, okay? But what I'm saying is even in a place like that, people are coming to Christ. There's going to be some, someone, someone. We don't know who is it going to be. We don't know. We don't know. But as we keep praying and as we keep being determined and as we keep sharing and opening our mouth, then we don't know who's ready at what time. But they're ready to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ.
So addition, Peter preaches, 3,000 are added to the church. Whoa, that's amazing. That's rapid growth, isn't it? But multiplication, well, that's slower. But what happens when you shift from growth by addition, incremental growth, to growth by multiplication, exponential growth? I want you to just look at the chart on the, on, on the overhead. This chart shows how multiplication is much more powerful than addition. So let's say we start off with addition. We have 100,000 churches. Each one of these churches will lead one person to Christ every week. You know, that's 5,200,000 people coming to Christ in one year. If 100,000 churches lead one person to Christ, just one person each, each week, and one year, that's 5,200,000 people coming to church. How long would it take to reach the world's current population of just over 7.5 billion people with the gospel if we did it that way? It will take us 1,154 years. Now, let's say we look at growth by multiplication. So, you, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find someone, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to share the gospel with them. And then, once they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to take one year, I'm going to meet with them every week, and I'm going to just disciple them. I'm going to teach them the scriptures. I'm going to teach them what it means to follow Jesus. And you do that. And at the end of the first year, how many people? How many disciples? Two. Now, by the, by the fifth year, if that church continues to add one soul, 100,000 churches add one soul to the kingdom each week, then you go to 26 million. You only have 32 disciples by multiplication. Tenth year, you go to 52 million. The multiplication, you get a 1,024. Multiplication is that each person who has been discipled will find someone, share the gospel with them, and take a year and disciple them. Just each one takes one person for one year and begins to disciple them. Wow, look what happens. 15 years, you're up at 78 million. And multiplication, you've got 16,384. Can you imagine having a church of 16,000 people, right? Okay. Now, let's continue. By the 29th year, this is where the exponential aspect of it kicks in. Now you've got 156 million people by one church, by 100,000 churches, adding one person a week. But now look what happens. How many disciples do you have? You have 536,870,912 disciples just because each person wins someone to Christ and spends a year discipling them. Guess what happens by year 33? Wow. You've got 8,589,934,592, which is more than a current population. Now, I realize this is somewhat flawed. I realize that not every Christian uh, is going to do that. But I do recognize, what if we were intentional? What if we said, you know what? I'm not going to do any big mission trips to Africa anymore. 
where I preach and I see 20,000 people come home. And then in many cases, not all, they're not discipled. And they just go back. We thank God for the, popula- for the amount of those who've gotten discipled, stick with the church. And they, be, they grow and they become more like Jesus. They get established in their faith. Thank God for that. But let's just say for a moment, instead of, instead of doing things that way, we decided, hey, Frisco needs the gospel. How about rather than saying, and you know, you guys know, I, I, I'm big on missions. I've spent a lot of time. I've been in many nations. And I want to tell you something, though. But do you realize the nations are here? The nations are here. They're on our soil. We have people from so many nations of the world, unreached people groups are here. People that have never heard the gospel before are living in Frisco. And what we need to do is we need to be intentional about praying for them. We need to be intentional about building relationships with them. We need to be intentional about sharing the gospel with them, including inviting some people to church. But then the key is, once they come to Jesus Christ, and I can assure you that God will put someone in your pathway that is ready to hear the gospel. He will. He already knows who they are. But he's looking for a man or a woman. How will they hear unless someone is sent, unless someone preaches the gospel? And so what happens is we begin to reach them with the gospel. We begin to disciple them, but we change our culture, our Christian culture, where it's about just coming to church on a Sunday, and we begin to, this is about a 24-7 relationship with the living God. This is about having a walk with the living God. This is about following him at all times and teaching others to do the same. You see, The New Testament strategy is very simple. I just want to look through these very quickly. God is not willing that any should perish, but that everyone should come to repentance and have the true knowledge of God. So the truth of the matter is God wants every person to become a believer. He's not willing that any should perish. Every person becomes a believer. Have you believed the gospel? Are you here this morning? Have you really believed the gospel? I'm not asking you, have you gone to church? Or even if you've been baptized. But if you really repented, believed the gospel, are you following Jesus Christ? That's the starting point. Every believer, Jesus said, must become a disciple. I realize there are some people, they get, you know, bedside conversions, deathbed conversions. The thief on the cross, praise God. But if God grants you breath and he extends your time here on the earth, it is his will that you go on to become a disciple. How are you more like Jesus now than you were last year at this time? Thirdly, every disciple, a disciple maker, I believe we can do it. Somebody said, well, I'm not in a place right now where I can do it. All right. Why don't you take the next six months, sign up for boot camp, because we're going to have boot camp. And we'll fast track your spiritual growth. We'll help you to grow quickly. We'll help you get set free of stuff that might be holding you back. I'll be talking about this so that you can walk in the freedom that Jesus died for you to know. 
so that you can impact the lives of other people and become a disciple maker yourself. And then lastly, some people, some, not everyone, will become multipliers. Paul spoke to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And he said, Timothy, the things that you've heard and seen in me, he said, I want you to entrust to faithful men who will teach others. What was he saying? He was saying, hey, Timothy, I'm your spiritual father. I've raised you up. I've discipled you. You find faithful men. Pour into them. Raise them up. Raise them up. Equip them. And what? Who will what? Teach others. Who will equip? Who will disciple others? There's four generations right there. It's all about the Great Commission. I love to have great services, great corporate gatherings, worship, preaching. I love it. But when the lights come on and when everything is just kind of cut down to the, to the bone, it all has to do with what is happening in people's lives. Are people becoming like Jesus? Are they really being saved? Are they growing on and going on to maturity? Are they becoming like Jesus? Do you believe that? Let's just bow our heads for a moment, please. Hi, I'm Flo from Progressive. Being a baseball fanatic like me can be stressful. It's not all sports points and touchdowns. So Progressive is going to help you take your mind off your team for a moment. Instead of thinking about how they missed that goal point score, think about the Name Your Price tool from Progressive letting you choose coverage options based on your budget. Unlike your team that missed the end zone net area. Well, anyway, hope this distraction about Progressive's Name Your Price tool was helpful. It sure kept me from thinking about all those penalty balls. Yay, sports! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.